Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. And welcome to Delving to Draft, this is episode 31, recorded on the 3rd of July 2013. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Dan! Right, news. Um, previously mentioned the Friday Night Magic promos which were coming out in the next few months, so we're now into July, so Rakdos Cackler is our current Friday Night Magic promo. Uh, next month in August we'll get the Demure Charm, and they've also announced that we're going to get the month after that in September... Experiment 1, and the artwork for that is very, very pretty. They've been really good with their uh, promos recently, actually. Like, There hasn't been anything I've not liked. I'm not a massive fan of Cackler, but allow me to get the two Cacklers I'm actually missing, because somehow I only drafted two Cacklers in the entirety of Return to Ravnica block. Um, yeah. But aside from that, uh, yeah, the Demir Charm, especially the Visit Charm, and Experiment 1, all pretty solid cards in my opinion. And the Call of the Conclave before that as well. Oh yeah, I forgot. We never actually got that in our yeah, story. But um Yeah. I mean they're all they're all pretty reasonable, playable standard cards. I mean some F and M promos in the past have been pretty rubbish cards. Yeah. These these ones are all have all been playable and had mostly really nice artwork. So Yeah, Tonkley was a little bit dodgy, but yeah. It was a little <laughs> Um, looking slightly further, actually no, it's not looking further into the future, it's looking similarly into the future. Magic 2014 is very soon upon us. It's been a very slow burner, saying we've been basically having preview cards since the same time as Dragon Maze got preview cards. So, it's been a really slow burner, I'm not quite sure why Wizards have done this, because it hasn't really built up any big, like, interest in my heart, because they've just been releasing it so slowly over time, it's sort of like, it's just sort of this inevitable thing which is sort of just going to come out. Which Yeah, it's just a little bit too drawn out now, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure why they did that. I, I've I've heard uh, somebody argue before that it's it's not a very good way of doing things because, you know, we're, just as we're coming into Dragon's Maze, you know, we're coming off a of Gatecrash, which is really exciting, going to Dragon's Maze, which is going to be great, you know, rounding up the block, we're going to see all these cool new cards. And they start going, oh, by the way, Magic 2014, that's, that's coming. Oh, Theros, you heard about Theros? It's like... Guys, we we haven't finished the Return to Ravnica book, <laughs> and you're spoiling the core set and going, hey, look what's cool coming around the corner in September, Theros. Can, can we just finish off this storyline before we start thinking about wearing togas? Seriously? <laughs> I, I've heard that argument before, and I quite agree with it. You know, I don't know why they're previewing stuff so far in the future. Like, if, if you know, in a couple of weeks' time we start seeing Theros previews, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be very disappointed, but that wouldn't surprise me, I'll be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I think the core sets are usually a bit different in that, I mean, a lot gets revealed because of the Chosen Planeswalkers game. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could have still left it a little bit later before revealing stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the ma- main reason that so much was revealed early is because they kind of started with the whole sliver thing and then that just led on to a few more previews. And Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why they did. Anyways, Magic 2014, it is coming. Uh, pre-release events are on the weekend of the 13th and 14th of July. Uh, so that's mm. just over a week away. Uh, the release event, remember, there's no big release event. It's just a Friday Night Magic, you get a special promo. That'll be Friday the 19th of July. That's also when M14 is released. So if you go into your gaming store, that's where you'll get your Colossal Whale if you play in F&M. Yes. Um, 
Game day is about a month after that. It's the weekend of the 10th and the 11th of August. And then further into the future, we've got Magic Celebration in Saturday, the 7th of September. Now, for those who don't know what Magic Celebration is, it's a absolutely free Magic event. If you go along, they'll throw a booster at you, and you get to play Mini Master. And if you don't know what Mini Master is already, then you haven't been listening to the show long enough. However... You get a free booster, and if you keep winning games, you can get more free boosters. And it's an absolutely free event for the entire day. It's just a good way to get lots of free magic cards. And it's amazing, and we'll undoubtedly talk about it closer to the date. But Magic Celebration is awesome and fun and fantastic. Yeah. Free magic cards and mini master. What more could you want? Draft. Free drafts. But, you know. <sighs> You're I, just I asking for too much. much now. Yeah, I really am asking for too much. Uh, I believe that's all the news, so we can move on to... Bring that card! Ooh. Are we, are we doing anything in particular this week? I don't know. I always feel trying to do t- Magic 2014 would be suitable, but at the same time, I don't know if I'd be able to guess any cards. Yeah, I think I'd probably need the spoiler in front of me, to be honest, to actually guess things. And that seems a little bit cheaty face. So. It does a little. Um, how about we do... Uh, Magic 13, 2013 card. Okay. Just to kind of throw back to, to Corset as we're approaching the new one. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um... Okay. I am looking at a card. Okay. So I might as well go first. <laughs> it is a green card. Okay. It's an uncommon uh, Rancor. No, not Rancor. Okay. It's a creature. Uh, oh, trying to go back into the past. What what were we playing in M13? Uh, Acidic Slime? That's the one. <laughs> yeah! Uh, I love that card. Wow, Acidic Slime. <laughs> awesome. That's Acidic Slime's one. always been one of my favourite green cards. It is very nice. Um, oh, you got that one pretty quickly. I did indeed. Um, Admittedly, it is the the first card alphabetically. So <laughs> right. It may have been a little bit obvious if you'd also done a gatherer search around when I did. <laughs> oh, right. Not quite. Um, okay, I have a card in front of me. Okay. Um, this is a rare card, and it is blue. Uh, Battle of Wits. It is not Battle of Wits. <sighs> It costs blue and blue. Oh, 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 I think I know what it is. But can you remember? The name, the name escapes me. It's the uh, Merfolk guy. Uh Uh-huh. It's got to be. Yeah. What what, what is he called? What what, what, what is he called? Some... (laughs) Master of the Pearl Trident. It is Master of the Pearl Trident, yes. (laughs) Ah, oh, such a strange name. I, I just, cause I've always thought of him as Lord of Atlantis. No, he, he's the better <laughs> version of Lord of Atlantis. He's similar, so, like, I just look at him and go, oh, that's the new Lord of Atlantis. I don't go, there's his name. He doesn't have an odd name, there was the Merfolk of the Pearl Trident, and he's the master of the Pearl Trident. So. Yeah, it makes sense. I gotta say, I remember Rare drafting a lot of them thinking Merfolks were gonna be this big thing in Ravnica. And yeah. then they ended up not being a big thing in Ravnica, like, there was a lot of people saying that they might be the something to do with the Simic Guild. Yeah, I, I because yeah. we we kind of knew some of the flavor that you know the the seas underneath Ravnica had been 
uh, discovered or had been dug up or so, you know something like that. You know, and, and like Merfolk had come to the forefront because obviously Zagana was now leading the Summit Combine. Exactly. And I, and I was thinking, well, Merfolk's a thing. I'll, I'll grab tons of those. And no, not not really. Well, you never know. I mean, it's, it could get reprinted in M14 still, perhaps. And Murpho being a thing in Theros, I suppose it's a possibility. I think it's a bit... <sighs> it's maybe a bit far-fetched. It feels a bit far-fetched. It um, does. Yeah, the best Murfolk from M13, I think, end up being Augur Bolas rather than Master of the Pearl Trident. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Anyways. I don't know. Did, how many, did anyone try and make a Murfolk deck? I don't know. Was I, it even I, possible? I looked into making a Murfolk deck a few weeks ago, and it, it's just not enough. It's just not worth the effort. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> Anyways, let's ignore 2013. Let's look at Magic 2014. This is what our main topic is going to be today. Uh, obviously, lots of spoilers have been coming out. Uh, if you look at the official spoiler list, then there's probably about 50 cards. If you look at uh, MTG Salvation, which I tend to go to for my spoilers, in all honesty, there's 191 spoilers. So I'm looking at that list because, to be honest, they tend to be very accurate. Um, yes. They they've also sourced from more like there's cards which have been revealed and we've seen and wizards haven't actually put up on the website yet. You know stuff in like Jewel of the Planeswalkers. We can look at the cards in Jewel of the Planeswalkers and go, yeah, that's a new card. It's somehow not up on the wizards website. Again, I'm a bit curious why they haven't done this, but you know. Yeah, I always find they lag a little bit behind some of the other sites. Yeah. So um, as I say, we've been looking at the MTG Salvation list because otherwise. It'd be a much shorter show, and we would have less to talk about because there's less cards officially previewed. But um, it does mean that, just in case, we should probably say what each of the cards do. Yes, yes. Um, right, I'm going I just, through them. <laughs> not, not just right now. List every card and say what it does. That would probably take up a bit of. Okay, time. card one is Johnny's <laughs> chosen, and it's hey, that, that could be a show. <laughs> uh, I think they're called set review shows. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Um, Let me believe that one for now. I'm not sure. You know what? Valid question. I don't know if we've ever asked this. Do people want us to do a set review show? Like, it's a thing we could do. It is a four to five hour grind, which we did try once. Yeah. And I seem to remember it being somewhat horrendous, just the length of time it takes. But if people really want it, then let us know and we'll consider it. I won't make any promises, even if I get like a thousand emails saying we want it. <laughs> because... It is pretty draining, but... Yeah, I'd be quite happy to do it. I wouldn't want to do it all in one show. I'd probably do it in two shows, but it'd be all right. It's up to people if they want it, though. We'll yeah. see. Anyways, um, let us jump into some previews. There is a cycle of rare creatures which spotted my eyes because enemy color hate hasn't been a big thing. I think it was maybe in M12 a bit, but it certainly wasn't M13, where, you know, you've got a card of a single colour, and then the two colours opposite it. So, for example, black's opposite colours are green and white. You know, you've had a black card which specifically only targets green and white cards, and I don't think we've seen this in a little while. And I sort of well, immediately spotted it when I started spotting these rare monocoloured creatures popping up. Yeah, I mean, it's always been a core set thing. that They've, they've usually had one cycle of... Um, hate cards like Deathmark and Combust and things. But I don't think that was present in 13 at all, was it? It may not have been. Yeah, um, and, you know, saying I've only been playing since M12, I mean, I, and I never really learned how M12 properly. I did spot this out, like, I picked this out pretty quickly when I started seeing these previews. Um, yeah, I mean, they're also all rares and all reasonably decent cards, so... Yeah, um, so let's just jump into the first one. Uh, Fiendslayer Paladin is a 
one white and a white, three mana cost, two two. And he's a human knight with first strike, lifelink, and he cannot be the target of black or red spells your opponents control. And more importantly, he has a lightsaber. He does... I, I mean, when you see the arc blown up, like, especially in Jewel of the Planeswalkers, it does look like a sword side-on. But from it, a distance, it, sword, but it yeah. looks like a lightsaber. And I think he's also going to be one of the pack arts, which is quite cool, because it is sweet art. Yeah, it does indeed. But, um, I mean, in terms of the card, it's, it's reasonable. It's uh, It reminds me a little bit of Mirren Crusader. Yes. In, in its cost, its size, and its first strike. I don't know, like, maybe that's not that close a, a comparison. But, I mean, it seems reasonable, even when they're not playing black and red. And yeah, I Obviously, mean, if they are, it hoses them. Yeah, he dodges a lot of the removal, which would normally be taking him out, like Shock and Doomblade. I mean, they both just can't even target him, so... Exactly. Black and red are really good protections, especially because of the amount of removal in them. I gotta say, I think he was maybe the first of these cycle which had been spoiled, and I saw... You know, they can be targeted by black or red spells as a, like, pseudo-protection. Like, I was wondering if they weren't printing protection, because, you know, protection is a little bit complicated to understand. It's not the most intuitive statement. Yeah. Like, it, it's no regenerate. A regenerate is by far the most confusing evergreen keyword, but protection is a close second. So I was wondering if they did that for that reason, but clearly it's not. It was maybe just a balancing thing. I mean, it, w- it would have been stronger if, you know, you could just eternally block anything black or red, especially after a multicolored set. True. Yeah, that, that's quite a lot of cards. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one is Tidebinder Mage, which is blue and blue, and it's another Merfolk Wizard, so a bit like Master of the Pearl Trident. Uh, also a 2-2, and when it enters the battlefield, you can tap a red or green creature an opponent controls, and that creature will not untap during its controller's untap step for as long as you control Tidebinder Mage. So it keeps something on permanent lockdown. Okay. Well, it sounds a bit like Dungeon Geists. Except but, for, did Dungeon Guys need to stay tapped themselves? Uh, no, it was the pretty much the same wording, except for it was any creature. Um, and it was a 3-3 flyer as opposed to 2-2 on the ground. Although it did also cost two extra colourless. Yeah, yeah. You, you get what you're paying for, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but it's nice to, you know, you, you wait for them to play their big guy and then you just lock it down and... Okay, and limited, it's, it's gonna be, Mediocre, obviously, if they've not got red or green, but it's it's probably a reasonable percentage of the time they're playing one or the other. Yeah, I think you sideboard out if you're not playing against red or green, because a bear for two coloured mana is not worth playing, but if you yeah. lock something down, then definitely. Yeah. I mean, the Fiendslayer, Pal- the, the Fiendslayer Paladin's playable even if you're not playing against black or red, whereas the Tide tie- Binder Mage probably isn't as playable unless you're playing against the red or green. Yeah, it's not a snap first pick, but it's going to be picked over a lot of things. Uh, the next one, the black card, is Lifebane Zombie for one black and a black, and he's a 3-1 zombie warrior. He has Intimidate, and also when he enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals his or her hand, and you choose a green or white creature card from it, and you exile it permanently, which is pretty handy. Yeah. I mean, it's another one that's reasonable without anything. Three mana for a 3-1 that in limited, that's going to be unblockable a decent amount of time. I mean, there's a few artifact creatures, but Actually, most of them tend to be rare, and the other one's a sliver, which is going to be sort of nabbed very quickly by the sliver player. But yeah, he is going to be hard to block unless they're playing black. Cause, yeah, they're not going to have the enchantments really. I don't know. I, I think he's okay. Um, it, it, again, if, if he's pl- if he's against green and white, it'll be way better. But otherwise, he'll be okay. I mean, the, the fact that it's a green or white creature card, if they are playing green or white, 
they have they a probably lot of creatures. have creatures. Yeah. And it's also in limited as well, also people tend to have more creatures. So it's gonna hit a, a big amount of time, especially if you hit it on turn three. Yeah. Uh, um, note that even if your opponent is green or white, if they don't have a creature of that colour in their hand at the time, you know, it, it still doesn't do anything. So there are times when it will miss. It's just probably not hugely likely yeah. that they don't have one. Now, I don't think we currently have the red creature from the cycle. No, that's the only one that isn't there. So we'll just have to move straight on to green, which is Witchstalker. Another uh, one green and a green. So the Tidebinder Mage is actually the odd one out for mana cost. It's a 3-3. It has Hexproof, which automatically makes it very nice. However, yeah. when an opponent casts a blue or black spell during your turn, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Witchstalker. Yeah, that seems pretty good. Yeah, I mean... 3-3 three, three for 3, which can't be targeted is already good. I mean, how often they're going to be playing blue or black spells? I mean, yes, they're going to be playing removal and bounce, but when they know the Witch Stalker's in play, they're going to be rather cautious. I don't think it... I mean, they're still going to play the Doomblade if they really need to on one of your other creatures, but... Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's re- perfectly reasonable as a 3-3 three, three for 3 with Hexproof, and there's a decent number of enchantments in this set already, so yeah, um, it could be particularly good in Limited, depending on how many more enchantments get spoiled. There's ha- there are a lot of enchantments, it seems, in this, and a lot of cards with reference enchantments coming to play. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Right, um, let's talk about the, rec- the returning mechanic, or apparently this is a returning mechanic. Like, I was expecting an actual mechanic, but apparently slivers are a mechanic, and they're the big returning thing. I mean, they were sort of obvious they were a big returning thing, but... You know, we're not getting Scry, we're not getting Bloodthirst, we're not getting Exalted. It's Slippers, which isn't a keyword, but whatever. They're the returning mechanic for M14. Um, so we've got 15 Slippers so far. I'm not sure if any more are going to be spoiled. I don't think I've spotted any more in Jewel of the Plains Rockers 2014 where there is a Slippers deck. But um, we have 15 so far, so far. They're primarily in the Naya colours of white, red, and green. There's four in each of those colours. There's a single one in blue, there's a single one in black, and there's also an artifact silver. And um, seven of them are common, three are uncommon, and five are rare. I don't think this is going to lead to more than one silver player being a viable thing at a table. Uh, I don't expect it will be. Um, it's also hard to say what will put someone into being slivers apart from opening one of the rares. I th- I'm from playing the silver deck, and obviously th- playing the silver deck in Jewel of Planeswalkers 2014 is not representative of playing M14, but... yeah. It does feel that you need those rares to really make it worth playing the cards. Um, yeah. I mean, like, what? sorry, I, I don't actually know this. What colours are the uh, Jewels of the Planeswalkers? It is a deck. It's just Naya. It is just the green, okay. white, red deck. It doesn't... Because the two... The, the blue card and the red sliver, they're both rares. One gives flying and one gives lifelink. Okay. So... I don't even know if you bother trying to play slivers if you open those two, because obviously then you're playing four colours, and you're playing yeah. one colour just for a rare. I mean, it depends what gets revealed. There could be more slivers in those colours, especially since those don't actually feature in the Joseph the Planeswalker games, so this it would true. probably be delayed. I mean, until they revealed those two, we didn't even know there were slivers in those colours. True, this was, uh, I think we saw the blue and the black one revealed in the promotional video for M14, so... Wizards haven't officially announced it, even though it's a Wizards video which previewed them. <laughs> it's a little bit silly. It seems, you know, it's a bit like, uh, yeah, the, the the different heads inside Wizards are just not talking to one another somewhat. But yeah. So what what about drafting the slivers then? Like, what 
what would you want to prioritize? Um, I'm trying to look for it. There is a, a predatory sliver, which is a one in a green, one one, which gives uh, sliver creatures you control plus one, plus one. I think you need a number of those alongside a good rare to make it a thing. Because um, some of the other slivers just aren't really going to be that exciting, like Mana Wef's sliver, which allows you to tap for any colour of mana. Good for fixing. Well, if you're going to be at least three colours, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's good for fixing, but if all you got is like a couple of Mana Wef slivers, like the Artifact sliver and maybe like Blur sliver, which gives you haste, that's yeah. not terribly exciting. Like, yeah, Blur Sliver, which gives you haste, not terribly exciting. Sentinel Sliver, which gives you vigilance. Again, I'm not really too excited by that. Now, the... I don't know, if you're, if you're in a racing situation, it can be quite good. Just to give all your guys vigilance, I mean, it makes it very difficult for people to attack you back. But some of them, like, the Slivers aren't terribly big. Like, a lot of them are one ones or 2-2s. Two That's not impressive, which is why I think you need, you know, the plus one, plus one from Predatory yeah. Sliver to at least make them sizable. Like, even, a, like... Yeah, you want the red one, which is your first strike, the sl- striking sliver. Yeah, but it's a 1-1. One, one. That doesn't kill a lot of things. No, but I mean, as soon as you've got one guy, that it, like, say you've got the predatory sliver, that's them both at least two power with first strike, which is reasonably good. Um, especially in limited. I mean, that's four power first strike you've got on the board. Yeah, but... And if you can start giving things vigilance too, then you can be attacking and blocking with it. It's, it does make it very difficult for your opponent to attack or block well. I, I, I'm i not sure if even just having the Predatory Sliver and the Striking Sliver is enough to really attack in with. Like, it's very it's good for defense. Yes. But I think you, to push it through to make an offensive deck, you need more. Like, I would really just stock up. Like, Predatory Sliver is probably the common I want the most. Like, I yeah. definitely want... To have first strike, but I mean, that, plus one that, plus one's a key thing. That's one thing that kind of goes in its favour is that it is a common, so yeah. there's a reasonably good chance of getting it. Yeah, I um, it think also- the only reason that I would honestly go into slivers would be if I got the first pick of the rare sliver, the rare green one. The megantic. Um, yeah, because it gives all your slivers plus three plus three. That like that's pretty strong. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's pretty, yeah, you know, the smallest of slivers is a 4-4 at that stage. That exactly. is pretty ridiculous. Um, I mean, the I mean other then one imagine I, first strike. <laughs> yeah, the other one I really like is the, the red rare, the Thorncaster sliver, when what, sliver creatures you control attack, uh, they do one damage to target creature or player. So you can, you know, you can do enough damage to the creatures on the side of the board that they know they're not, like, chump blocking at any way, or you can just remove some creatures, or you can just push through the extra damage, like, it's good if you just swing maybe into three or four slivers. You're just like, where would I like to put this four damage? I'll divide as I choose and do lots of nasty things and, you know, it makes your opponent sad. Yeah, I'm quite glad you read that out, actually, because I didn't read that properly the first time. I thought it was just the Hellrider ability of dealing one damage to the face, and I thought that was okay. No, no, it's you get but, to ch- choose a target creature or player, and uh, obviously that's one damage per creature you attack with. You don't all have to hit the same thing with it, so. No, but, I mean, if you're attacking with three... Sliver is a decent chance of killing one of their creatures before they even get to block. Absolutely, so yeah. Pretty strong. Yeah, so, I mean, th- those are definitely the big two. Like, um, to be honest, Megantic Sliver plus the First Strike Sliver. Yeah, swinging my 4-4 First Strikes minimum. Not going to complain, but um, I-, I-, I just don't see more than one Sliver player being a thing. And I don't know how many Slivers I take sort of as singletons, like, you know, by themselves. Like, Predatory Sliver, a bear for, you know, one and a green for a 2-2. Seems okay. But yeah. I wouldn't take a 1-1 first striker. 
I wouldn't take a like two-two vigilance. Like eh. I don't know, two-two vigilance for two is reasonable. In limited, I would play that in most decks. I mean, that's a, that is a thing though. Like other decks are going to take them. Because mm. I would, I would, if I was playing white, I would take a two-two vigilance for two. So it's entirely possible that your cards get stolen. And I mean, well, I say stolen. It's, not necessarily yours to begin with. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Hive Stirrings as well. Three mana for two one ones. That's, that's been played before in, in other decks. Like there was the one in Scar's Block, which produced two one one mirrors. Uh, oh, Master's Call. There was also, yeah. I think there was also Raise the Alarm. Did that also do two or is that three? That was two mana and it was two. Right. Um, so there's been a few that have been two mana and those have obviously been a bit, been a bit stronger, but even the three mana one ones are reason, Reasonably playable, so I wouldn't be hugely surprised if other white decks picked that up as well. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think you have to get quite lucky to properly get the sliver deck. Yeah, I think I think even now I can warn against people like trying to make slivers a thing. I think too many people are going to go oh, slivers. I really want slivers to work, and if even like two or three people at the table kind of have that, oh, slivers, I rate them a, a bit higher than everything else, because they're slivers. Come on, guys. <laughs> I think that's just going to make everybody going for slivers just going to have a much worse deck. Like, I think you're going to have to wait a few weeks into the format before somebody can actually make slivers, like, work well. Like, maybe in Sealed, at the pre-release, you can get it to work. But I, I think in Draft, too many people are going to be excited by it and try to go for it, and no one's going to end up actually having a sliver deck. Yeah, e- even if I open a Megantic Sliver in the first couple of weeks, there's no way I'm touching it. Like, oh. I'm staying away from that. I might I might play it as a 6-mana six 6-6, six, but there's probably going to be something better in the pack than a 6-mana six 6-6. Six. That sounds pretty good to me, but yeah. Yeah. Like, th- there are commons and uncommons I would take over that, just because I'm wanting to avoid it like the plague for the first little while, just because, you know, the hype there is going to cause it to be ridiculously overdrafted. Yeah, yeah. Um... Right, we have a vertical cycle in uh, M14. Now, everybody probably knows what a cycle... Like, everybody knows what the term cycle means, hopefully. You know, there's one of each card and, like, each of one colour. So, for example, we just mentioned the hosing, uh, the rare creatures which had enemy colour hate or hosing enemy colours. That's a cycle. You know, there's one white, one red, one blue. Vertical cycle is where you have one a common, one an uncommon, and one a rare. So we've got Festering Newt, Bubbling Cauldron, and Frog Brew Witch. Uh, Bog Brew Witch, even. Yes. And I kind of want to give this Vertical Cycle a nickname. Like, we had the Empire Cycle back in M12. I don't have yeah. a name for the cycle. I want to I want to call it, like, the Macbeth Cycle. You yeah, know? Which is, that was actually just in my head. I was about to come out with the Macbeth Cycle. Yeah, yeah that, because, that's perfect. <laughs> because, they, they, because when they announced it on Daily MTG, they did call it uh, Double Double Toil and Trouble. Yeah. Um, Firebird and Cauldron Bubble. Yeah, which is... That's it. Yeah, so, yeah, we've got these three cards. So, uh, Festering Newt is a single black, it's a 1-1, one, one, and it's a Salamander, which I don't think we've had a Salamander in a while. Um, oh, there's another one in this set. Is there? I believe. Uh, is Root Waller not a Salamander? Uh, I know Root Waller's here, but I can't remember what it is. Anyways, Festering Newt, uh, when he dies, a target creature and opponent controls get minus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. That creature gets minus 4, minus 4 instead if you control a creature named Bog Brew Witch. So this is where we've got cards referencing other cards, and this is why they're part of a cycle. Um, Bubbling Cauldron is a two-mana artifact. You can pay one and tap it and sacrifice a creature to gain four life, so you pop it in the cauldron for a nice stew. Or you can do one tap and sacrifice a creature named Festering Newt, 
and each opponent loses four life and you gain life equal to the life lost this way. Um, so obviously, generally, we're just going to deal four, gain four, which is pretty nice. Yeah, especially since the card that you're sacrificing in that case is one that's maybe killed something with its come into playability. Yeah, and after that, it's probably a bit useless as a one-one by itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you are getting all of these cards, like all three of the psycho, then it will be better. But I'll let you tell me what Bogroof does first. Well, also, festering its ability is when it dies, not when it enters. Ah, yeah, it's actually a bit worse. Um, anyways, well, it makes the bubbling cauldron a little bit better then. Yeah, <laughs> as a way to sacrifice it. Now the bog brew witch is a rare, unfortunately. It's three and a black. It's a one three, and it's a human wizard. And she has two tap. Search your library for a card named Festering Newt or Bubbling Cauldron. Put it into battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. So she sets up the combo. I mean, although she is needed to make Festering Newt a lot better when it dies. Yes. But if you have all three, then you tap the bubbling cauldron, sacrifice the newt, gain four life, deal four damage, and make a creature minus four minus four. I mean, that's pretty nice. Yeah, that seems reasonable. It uh, just might be a bit difficult to get them all. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not, I mean, you can't go for the bog brew witch combo without opening bog brew witch herself. Yeah. But, I mean, when you do, you can then easily fetch up the other parts of the combo. Getting the bubbling cauldron at uncommon, yeah, the table's opening 72 in commons. Um, one of them being Bubbling Cauldron. Yeah, that's probably reasonably likely. Yeah, there's probably one. I mean, how much do you want this if you don't there's have? There's a good chance there's two, actually, in the entire draft. Yeah, 60 uncommons, probably, yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you get first pick Bog Brew Witch, I, I think you're quite safe to assume that you can get a few of the other two. Yeah, worst case scenario, you can get some festering newts and they become minus four, minus four when they die. So, I mean... That, that's fine enough about the cauldron. Yeah. I mean, the problem is if they kill your bog brew witch, then <laughs> the one ones that you've searched up become a little bit mediocre. Mm, but true. Yeah, I think if you were to first pick bog brew witch, it's maybe worth trying. I'm not sure how good it'll be, though. We'll see. I, mean, look- I want to try it. It looks fun, and it's the sort of thing that uh, Johnny's are very much going to go for. Yeah. Well, I mean... I always want to try and assemble the Empire ones, so... Yeah. I only managed it once. Oh. Still, I managed it once, so... (laughs) Yeah, true. I'm not sure if it should be only. Yay! (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that that looks fun. And and yes, the Macbeth cycle, that's... We'll go for it. We'll go for that name. That's a much better name. Right, um, I don't think there's any other cycles I really wish to talk about. Um, So I think we just talk about individual cards? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's a couple of pairs of cards that are worth mentioning together, but we'll get to those. Yeah. Okay, so the first card I want to look at is Banisher Priest. It's one white and a white for a 2-2 human cleric, and it reads, When Banisher Priest enters the battlefield, you exile target creature and opponent controls until Banisher Priest leaves the battlefield. Now, this sounds quite a lot like Fiend Hunter, which, when it enters the battlefield, it exiles a target creature and opponent controls, and when it leaves the battlefield, you return that creature to the battlefield. Our note, Fiend Hunter has two abilities, two triggers, whereas Banishing Priest, Banisher Priest only has the one. So Banisher Priest sets up a trigger which has a set duration. So it's only whilst Banisher Priest is sort of sitting around is the creature exiled. And the second Banisher Priest disappears, the creature returns. So with Fiend Hunter or with O-Ring, you can set up a situation where you play Fiend Hunter, you target the creature you go to exile, then you kill your Fiend Hunter, so the leave the battlefield effect happens, then the enter the battlefield trigger happens, and the creature is permanently exiled, or with O-Ring's case, the permanent is permanently exiled. 
With Banisher Priest, this doesn't work. So if you try with Banisher Priest to play Banisher Priest, target a creature to exile, and then kill your Banisher Priest, then, well, the creature doesn't get exiled because the Banisher Priest has already left the battlefield and the duration has already ended before it began. Yes. Um, so this was written this way intentionally to avoid the old O-ring trick of permanently exiling things, which I think, can you also do that with Angel of Serenity? You can, if you have some way to also kill it or bounce it or something after paying seven mana. Yeah, which is a lot, really, but <laughs> they've, they've now, you know, they've seen the trick enough and they've now gone, yeah, you're not getting that trick anymore, people, so. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's, if it's partially because it's simpler to not have that appear in a core set as well. Because it does confuse some people that that's how it works. Yeah, it is a bit... I've, I have had judge calls at PDQs and WMCQs about this effect because it doesn't seem intuitive that you can permanently exile something, but with Banisher Priest we no longer have to worry about that being the case because it sets a duration. So, yes. you know, if Banisher Priest disappears before it even actually exiles the creature, then, well, it doesn't get exiled. There's no time to exile it because the Banisher Priest no longer is on the battlefield, so... Yes, that's yeah. exactly how it works. Um, so, the card itself. I like it a lot. I mean, it's slightly expensive bear, but it gets rid of the biggest threat. And, I mean, we've, we've sort of mentioned there's quite a lot of our uh, enchantments. It gets rid of the enchantments. Like, you can even target... I oh, know you can't target your own creature. Oh, well, you can still get rid of an opponent creature. Yes. With an enchantment on it. Um, I mean, it's, Fiend Hunter was really good. It was a really high pick, first, second pick, quite happily a lot of the time. I mean, one of the things I did like about Fiend Hunter, it did have three toughness. Um, yeah. Which I, I, did allow it to block quite well. This is only a 2-2, so... I think especially with Shock around in the set, like, one a 1-3 would probably be a better creature to have this ability on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, then they would basically just be reprinting Fiend Hunter with the trigger fixed, so I'm not sure that would have been... Yeah, Very I, w- interesting. I wonder if they changed it to a 2-2 intentionally so people didn't think this was like Fiend Hunter and worked the same way as Fiend Hunter, because, you know, it yeah. doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, I like the card, and I'll pick it really highly. It's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a pretty solo and common. Uh, the next card is a card I've been thoroughly enjoying playing with on Jill of Planeswalkers is Master of Diversion. He's a 2 and a white for a 2-2. He's a human scout. Whenever Master Diversion attacks, tap target creature defending player controls. Yeah. This just enables attacks. Yeah, it enables attacks as, you know, you just tap down the thing which is causing the problem, whether it's a high toughness creature or just the big threat on the board, which you can't otherwise, you know, handle at the moment. You can still get your hits in. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Firefist Striker, but you don't have to have Battalion. Yeah. And he's really good in the early game where maybe they didn't play a one-draw creature, so you can actually get in attacks just with Master of Diversion tapping down. Yeah, they're only, they're only blocker. Yeah, or they may have, like, the 1-1 one, one for a strike sliver. 2-2 two, two doesn't really care about that, so, you know. I mean, it depends on, on what kind of game, what kind of deck you're against. If you're against another aggressive deck, it's, it's quite a bit worse because they're probably not going to have very many blockers anyway. Um, Although it does tap down the the one creature they've played that turn if they've played one. Mm-hmm. So it does help a little bit. Um, but if they're playing a defensive deck, it's way better. Because yeah. right? the other thing is, against an, another aggressive deck, three mana twitches aren't amazing. But, I mean, it's only a common. What do you, what'd you expect? <laughs> uh, and they work really nice in multiples. Yeah, say. that they will do. <laughs> yeah, I, I was able to... I, I was playing some of the sealed in... Uh, 
drill the planeswalkers and, and having two was pretty nice. Nice. Yeah. Next card, um, Elite Arcanus. Um, Arcan- Arcanist? Elite? Ar- Ar- Arcanist? Yeah. Arcanist? Arcanist, I think. The next card is Elite Arcanist. Yeah, it's, that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three and a blue for a 1-1. One, one. It's a human wizard. It is a rare. Um, when Elite Arcanist, Arcanist, um, whatever, ar- enters the battlefield, you can exile an instant card from your hand. And then you can do X, tap, copy the exiled spell. You may cast a copy without paying the mana cost. X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. Yeah. I feel like I'm seeing this a lot, but it's a bit like another older card. <laughs> I suppose we've been playing, like, Magic's quite an old game now, so there, yeah. there will usually be some similarities between every new card and something that happened before. I mean, and to just... be honest, I think most of the slivers are actually reprints, just with you control added in. Ah, uh, I see. I mean, that, let's be honest here. So... Yeah, see, like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of cards, which, especially in Corset, where, you know, there, there, there's a lot of sort of the... Sort of basic cards, like I, I, evergreen type stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of evergreen type stuff, but there's a lot of, I, I don't want to say simple mechanics, it's when it's, like, pure mechanics, like mechanics about sort of the extra comp, complicatedness, which you sometimes yeah. get. You know, so, th- there are a lot of things here which remind me of other cards. Like, I don't know what card you're necessarily thinking of, but I'm thinking of Isochron Scepter with this guy. It has some similarities to Isochron Scepter, but it's a little bit closer to Panoptic Mirror. Right. Because that can exile any instant or sorcery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's pretty much the same way that it works. Um, it has imprint rather than this block of text. Right, okay. Um, I don't know how I feel about this card. Like In draft, it seems really risky. Like If you can get a good instant or sorcery on it, it's going to be amazing value if you can keep casting it. But you have to get rid of the card from your hand in the first place, so they might just kill it before you get the chance to use it. It's only a 1-1. True, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously there's removal, no doubt, but, I mean, you could get some nice effects on this. Like, Essence Scatter, you just counter the first creature they try to play each turn. Or, I mean, even just, like, a straight-up removal spell or shock or... Those are all really cheap. I'm not sure if there's anything really good in... I mean, you could always Rise of the Dark Realms... (laughs) Which is another card in the set. Um, uh, Rise of the Dark Realms is a nine mana black sorcery that puts all creatures from all graveyards on the battlefield under your control. I don't think you're casting that more than once, in all honesty. I don't think you need to, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the things it does enable, which is a bit janky and a wound advise, is that you could take an off-colour spell. Yeah, and, this is true. You know, you can cast it for X, which... Colorless, so you know you could make like Doomblade work, even though you're not in black. But eh, I wouldn't totally advise that. Yeah, there's actually one thing in this. Um, one thing with this card that I've noticed already, which could be quite funny, um, is that if you have the white enchantment in the deck in the set um, called Angelic Chord, the way that that works is if you gain four or more life this turn. Um, at the beginning of each end step, if you gain more, four or more life this turn, you get to put a, a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield. So if they print Angel's Mercy in this set, <laughs> that could be quite funny. Right, yeah, so you can enable it to just gain lots of life and produce lots of 4-4s. It's a bit far-fetched, but it would be quite funny. <laughs> 
congratulations, you found a way from Angel's Mercy to be a playable card. Well, I mean, how, how can anyone compete with gain seven life, get a 4-4? Four, four All you need turn. are two rares. No, sorry, a rare, an uncommon, and a common, which we've yet to have. Okay, so you, you've, you no longer created the Macbeth cycle. You've now created <laughs> the, uh, I don't know, life gain angel cycle. <laughs> I don't even know what to call this thing. It's, it's so messed up. <laughs> I, I think we'll worry about it if Angel's Mercy does end up being a reprint, but I, I really hope not because it's a horrible card, but. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I think it's probably not necessarily first pickable lead Arcanus because it is fragile and, you know, it, it has to come into play and you need to have the spell you wish to exile and it needs to survive a turn and then hope your spell's relevant. Like, if it is something like Essence Scatter you actually exile, you then need to wait for the creature spell before it runs good. And they know about it. And, and yeah, it, it, it is also known. But if you if you are, say, able to exile Doomblade, then, while well, you're going to town, it's... You created your own just tap killer creature. Like, yeah. can't, can't complain. So, yeah, it's pretty good in that situation. I yeah. just think it's too many hoops. Mm, uh, I'm I'm not sure, but I I do feel it's possible. It's not a it's not a snap pick. It's not a no. you know it's, it's not a slamming down take that first pick. Um, well, it might be for you. I can see that being your kind of deck. I I hate being painted in this light. That I I am I am this. Well, it's like, I it's don't feel the perfect I mean, I, is it card. It, it lets you it, cast lots of instants and sorceries and it's in the it right colours. I just don't like being stereotyped, even though I know I'm in this at three and three. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm just, nah, I don't know. Okay. So we'll, we'll move on from that. And, and since you mentioned it there, um, let's move on to Doomblade. Okay. Um, yeah. So Doomblade, for people who don't know what Doomblade is, because you haven't been playing since M12, Doomblade is an instant for one and a black. Destroy target non-black creature. Yep. It's pretty good. Like, you can't complain. It, I mean, it's no murder. It doesn't kill everything. But for one less black mana, you kill everything which isn't black. Yeah. That's a and lot of things. It's also been at standard for a little while, so... Um, I know some people will be quite happy to see it return. Yeah, now... Just aside. <laughs> now, there are two things I want to say about Doomblade's inclusion. One, this is now an uncommon rather than a common... Yeah. So it will be harder to get. Now, the other thing which I think is a bit more telling, in M13, a lot of the good cards were intentionally required double colour of mana. So, you know, Murder was one black and black, and we had um, other cards which just required two coloured mana. Doomblade doesn't. And the reason they did this in M13 was because if I go into a colour, I should be able to get the good cards of the colour. Like, if I go black, I should be able to get the murders. They shouldn't be hated from me. The problem of having something like Doomblade, which only requires you to splash a little bit of black to get a kill a creature effect, is that you can kind of see Doomblade being stolen by not the black player. You know, by the guy who's playing, like, I'm playing white and green, but I'll just put a couple of swamps in there to play my Doomblade and maybe some other one, you know, black mana cost card, because I can do that. Like, this leads M14 to be a bit more splashable, I feel. Like, it'll be a bit more okay to go for multiple colours and just kind of go, I'll just take some of the choice cards from these colours and just play it as my splash. You know. Yeah, that seems quite likely. Because, um, like, for example, you've also got Shock, which we'll get to later, which is just one red. Like, I can just grab that, play it on my Azorus deck, and just have the red randomly there to do two damage every now and then. Like, Yeah, it is tend to pick up by quite a few other decks if they're, if they're getting a couple of red cards. Yeah. Shock's a good one to take. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... The inclusion of Doomblade and both Doomblade and Shock are telling in that it's going to be a lot easier to splash, unlike in M13, where 
you know, having two colours was good and sticking to two colours was good. In this, you could probably go three, maybe it was stretched to four. I mean, especially if you're playing slivers, you'll feel free to go all over the place potentially, so. Yeah, why not? Just go every colour. Yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> I, I really, um, one of the key things we haven't yet seen is the jewel lands. Or are there going to be jewel lands? Like, we've yet to actually see that. I'm- I'm pretty sure there isn't any. I thought I heard some rumour that... Ooh. I heard something about there not being any dual lands in this set. I'm not sure if it's 100% confirmed. Um, it may have been someone... I think someone done the number crunch on it and yeah. worked out there wasn't enough space for dual lands anymore. Yeah, I'm looking at the spoiler now that they say it. So, uh, alphabetically, the last artifact is Vial of Poison at 226. And yes. then Plane starts at 230... Which leaves a four card gap, and we know two of the lands. So, okay, so M14 doesn't have jewel lands. Yep. Did not realize that until now. That is interesting. I mean, admittedly, we are pretty flush in, you know, our constructed environments for it. Yeah, I mean, and, it, it know, guarantees, I think, that we'll get something in Theros instead. And I don't know, jewel lands aren't, like, that high a pick, actually, in corsets. Like, they're okay, but they, they go reasonably late. Like, they can occasionally wheel, so... Yeah, I'm reasonably happy that there isn't one. I don't mind too much. Yeah. Like, having the, the checks rotate out of standard will at least, you know, keep some people in check from... <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, I see what you From uh, playing so many colours, but we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. As for limited, I don't think it's too much of a no, thing losing it. I mean, th- obviously, this is not the multicoloured set that the Return to Ravica block was. So. Yeah, admittedly, playing the Sliver deck, you maybe would have wanted some of the green, white, red ones. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. there is Shimmering Grotto in the set, so which lets you filter what mana into any colour, so that's reasonable. But yeah. slow. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe there'll be an artifact which also allows us to get multiple colours. Yeah, this is possible. There was Manolith before. Um, which could, of course, be reprinted. You never know. Yep. Right. Let's continue on at any rate. Um, Grim Return is a rare for two and a black. It's an instant spell. This is a very nice thing to copy with um, Elite Arcanus, I would say. Choose target creature card in a graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn. Put that card onto the battlefield under your control. So okay. you kill their threat, you get their threat. I'll have that. It's- Reasonably cheap. It's it's in fact I think it's the same cost as the enchantment from Avacyn Restored, which done a similar thing. When a creature died, you got to put it back in under your control. However, at least this way, it's an instant, so they don't see it coming. As opposed to the enchantment, yeah. Where yeah, it kind of it telegraphed from the get go, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you get to a later part of the game where they play their threat. You've been holding Grim Return for a while, and then you draw your Doomblade. You've got the five mana available to just go, I kill your threat, I get your threat, my turn, kill you, you know, <laughs> kill you with your own guy. I mean, Seems reasonable. I mean, the fact that it's an instant means that you're doing it on their turn, so you can instant, you can do stuff with the creature straight away. Indeed. I mean, I think that death, well, I mean, it wouldn't work as a sorcery, but it makes it powerful. Yes. Yeah, it would work, well, it could work as a sorcery, I suppose, but that'd be really janky. It would be very janky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like this a lot. Like, it's, again, it's not the most powerful effect for the rare you pick, but it has the potential. I mean, you just move into removal and then you just wait for the prime opportunity to strike. And yeah, it's not the kind of card I like picking up early, but it, it does seem to have its uses. Mm-hmm. Next couple of cards, again, just a 
brief note. There's Minotaur Abomination, which is a zombie Minotaur. There's also Undead Minotaur, which is a zombie Minotaur. We've had a lot of Minotaurs in Return to Ravnica block. There's now a lot of Minotaurs for a core set, which tends not to really have them in black. Like, Red has one, maybe, or two, but in black, not really. Kind of just indicates that we're undoubtedly going to see Minotaurs in Theros. Uh, I wouldn't say undoubtedly. I mean, we had the Merfolk thing last corset. <laughs> no, no, no. This time, I mean, we're going Greek. There is a labyrinth. The Minotaur is Greek. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not Although s- a lot of the Minotaurs are very expensive so far. Hmm. Like, I mean, some of them are like the Boros Battleshaper for seven mana, so... Yeah, but then you got Boros Reckoner for three, so... Yeah. I do wonder what kind of Minotaur we're likely to see at low costs. I mean, other than being completely overpowered like Boros Reckoner, like what can feel like a Minotaur unless it's like fairly strong? We have an undead Minotaur, uh, two, three for three, but, eh. I'm only really mentioning these Minotaurs just because of Theros. I don't, I, there's nothing special about them with regards to the corset. They're big black creatures. Um, it does actually show some of the new changes they've done to black where they've made them higher toughness than power. Because that was something that Marrow did mention, that Black and Red had in common. A lot of their creatures were high power, low toughness. And Black has now reversed that. So, for example, Minotaur Abomination is a 4-6. Yeah, um, that is a little bit different. Whereas, I imagine if you found the Red version of it, it'd be the 6-4. So, yeah. ju- just a thing to note that we're now seeing the changes in Black cards where their toughness can be a little bit higher than their power. So, yep. I was going to say all creatures are like that, but... You know. We'll see more of it in the future. Let's move on to a creature. I'm really annoyed by this creature's type line, but anyway, Shadowborn Apostle, which I think we've known about for a while. It's a 1-1 for a single black. It's a human cleric, and it has the line, a deck can have any number of cards named Shadowborn Apostle, which inside I just want it to be called a basic creature, but apparently they don't like that. Like, you know, we got basic lands, we know that we can have any number of basic lands in our deck. Why can't we just call this a basic creature? Because we can have any number of Shadowborn Apostles in our deck. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it depends. If they weren't planning on doing it on very many other things, it's, it's probably not worth doing it. Just because yeah, the word basic doesn't necessarily mean that to players, a lot I, of players. I know, but I want it to happen. I want my basic uh, Relentless Rats and my basic Shadowborn Apostles. Yeah, yeah, it would be quite cool. Yeah. Anyways, what's a, what, why would you want an infinite number of 1-1 one, one for 1 creatures? Well, it's because you can play black and sacrifice 6 Shadowborn Apostles to search your library for a demon creature and put it onto the battlefield. Yes. Now, that is kind of pretty awesome. Like, there's an encounter for it in Jewel of Planeswalkers, which does wreck you if they do it. But in Limited, never happening in a trillion years, and the one time it does happen... That demon's getting killed straight away. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you have to also have a demon as well as getting at least six of these guys, and, well, it's limited. Like, six is still a bit of an ask sometimes. Yeah, like, I've had five of a card before. Six. And even if a card's completely rubbish, seeing six of it isn't that likely. I mean, when when I played during Meriden Besieged, there was a card called Shriekhorn, um, which came in with two charge counters, and you could remove a charge counter to mill someone for a couple of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd done a triple merit and besieged draft once, and one player had the somewhat genius idea of picking up all of the shriekhorns, because 
although it's probably not a great card any other time, if you can get around 10 of them in, in a small set, then it's probably going to be pretty decent. It's right. actually quite a quick mill. Yeah. Um, and I think he managed to get about 7, which, considering that it was a much smaller set than M14, says that you're probably not hugely likely to get 6 of a card, even if it is a last pickable card. Yeah. It's, this is going to be exceptionally hard to do in sealed because all of your boosters will have to have the Shadow Word Apostle in it. Like, you can't, yeah. you can't miss a step. Like, okay, maybe you get a foil one. But beyond that, you can't miss a step. So I just don't see this happening. And the other thing, having a brief look, I think there's one demon, and it's a mythic. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like, like, just also, also, well, let's sort of talk about it. I mean, we've had Shadowborn Apostle. There's Shadowborn Demon. Obviously, yeah. the two are linked. It's only three black and a black. It seems a lot easier to just draw it and get the five mana than to play six apostles and then sack them all without any of the apostles being touched. Yeah, it seems unlikely. Um, it's something I'd quite like to do in, in uh, some kind of constructed format, though, is to sack the six to get Gristlebrand, because you're kind of at least gaining back your card advantage there as well. Yeah, but... I'd... But that's about the only time I would ever see myself wanting to do that. Yeah, I, th- I think we can clearly say Apostle is unplayable. Um, the Demon actually is a bit awkward to play without the Apostles in a weird way, because, I mean, it's a it's five drop, it's a five six, it's got flying. When it enters the battlefield, it destroys a target non-Demon creature, which is pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, however, at the beginning of your upkeep, if there's fewer than six creature cards in your graveyard, you sacrifice a creature. So that's kind of one, why you want your apostles in the graveyard, having sacrificed themselves to the altar to summon the demon. But that's not happening, so you still need a lot of things to be dead, or you're just going to start losing guys. Yeah. Which, which is unfortunate, but... I mean, it's still a reasonable card, and I would probably first pick it. Yeah, I'd probably first pick it. I mean, it's it's still really powerful. You just I mean, kind of... Worse case scenario, it kills one creature and then it can sack itself. Yeah, I mean, it's an expensive Doomblade, but, you know. Five mana for a killer creature is usually reasonable enough in limited. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But, I don't know. And the fact that it can also be way better if you get it later. Yeah, yeah. Where you don't actually have to sack things, that'd be grand. Yeah, and I mean, if you only have to sack one of your creatures to get up to the six in your graveyard, then... It's at least parity in that it's killed one creature on both sides. However, it is not a main trigger, so you have to kill something. This is true, so don't we'll play <laughs> it on an empty board. Well, play it on oh, an empty no, board. No, play it on an empty board, sorry, it can't target itself. itself. Yeah, yeah, but... But if you're the only one with creatures other than it, then not so good. <laughs> no. Right, uh, let's jump from one mythic to another mythic. Chandra Pyromaster. Chandra is obviously sort of the marquee planeswalker of the set. Yes. Um, and she has a brand new card uh, to suit. So, two red and a red for four loyalty Chandra. Um, three abilities, as you may expect. Plus one, Chandra Pyromaster deals one damage to target player and one damage to up to one target creature that player controls. That creature cannot block this turn. Zero, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. Minus seven, exile the top ten cards of your library. Choose an instant of sorcery exiled this way and copy it three times. You may cast the copies while paying their mana costs. Yeah. Discuss. <laughs> well, I've, I've not changed my opinions of this card very much since I first saw it. Um, I still think it's probably going to be a little bit difficult to fit into a deck, but I like the way that they're doing Planeswalkers and that you now kind of get ones which reward you for building around them a little bit but aren't insanely powerful on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, like, our plus one 
it'll kill occasionally, not a huge amount. Um, the fact that it stops a creature from blocking is only going to be useful in some decks. Um, perhaps you might want to play it with geists and traps or something, but I mean, this is constructed, so. I don't yeah. know. It's 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 totally different from from limited, where you're not going to get as much chance to build around it. Um, if you're in limited, like I don't know, if you've got a massive board stall, making their best creature not be able to block might help you, but it, it seems unlikely. I think you're more likely to just try and hope for a getting to kill a one toughness creature with that ability, or just using it to gain loyalty. Yeah. Um, so in limited, the plus one is pretty mediocre, really. Um, the zero. No, that seems pretty good. Yeah. I, I think that's why you play the card, to be honest. Um, cause getting to play a card for, from the top of your library every turn is pretty much like drawing a card every turn. Um, and red decks tend to really like when they can actually draw cards. Yeah, cause it's not a thing they normally get to do, and there's normally a cost involved when they can do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you still have to pay the cost of the card, which is something to pay attention to. True. But the fact that it says that you can play it means that you can also play land if you do happen to reveal a land. Yeah. If you don't play it this turn, though, it is exiled for good. But, yeah, I, I, I'm happy with that ability in Limited. Yeah, I, I, I think you've summed it up well, that plus one, occasionally good, zero, probably the main reason. And again, because it's Limited, the minus seven, probably yeah. not happening all that often, but if it does happen, then... I mean, there's a reasonable chance you could actually do it, because if you were to plus Chandra, you could get there, and I don't think anyone's going to put as much effort into stopping you as they normally would with a Planeswalker Ultimate. Mostly because it isn't that amazing, really. It's okay. But, I mean, what are you copying three times that's winning the game on the spot? Yeah, I mean, you could hit Shock. Um... And also, you've just put yourself ten cards into your library and potentially... You know, if the game's quite far gone, you're almost milling yourself out. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be playing this in the Jace versus Chandra matchup because Jace Probably wins. Not. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much every time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't honestly see anything that's amazing with it. Act Treason to steal three creatures and swing in for the win. Um, Flames of the Firebrand does nine damage this way, but I mean, th- these are not Planeswalker Ultimate level abilities, really. Yeah, not not normally what you'd expect. Yeah, uh, it, it's not necessarily going to close a game of limited. Like in constructed, sure, you're going to hit something really awesome in limited. It doesn't yeah. have quite the same punch as other ultimates may do. But uh, I mean, in, const- in constructed, just to mention quickly that and this is the card that actually made me think: wait, our ultimate could be useful. Is Warleader's Helix is actually a really nice thing to hit off this because mm-hmm. that twelve damage. Divided amongst three things, if you want, and gain twelve life is probably enough to put you quite far ahead. But I mean, sadly, that card isn't in this same limited format. <laughs> no. So yeah. yeah, basically, play this, keep zeroing it, and it will gain you a lot of cards and probably win you the game that way, without actually doing anything on its own. Card advantage is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Next card we've already touched on: shock. Does two damage to target creature or player at instant speed, which, I mean, we've mentioned quite a lot of two toughness creatures already, which we think are quite good, so it's going to kill a lot of things. Yeah, it's quite good in the set. uh, Very cheap, very splashable, which I think is unfortunately, but yeah. It Uh, can't target the the paladin, though. 
<laughs> this is true. It will not kill that paladin. That paladin is quite immune to shock. <laughs> unless, you, unless you change shock's color to some other color for some reason. I don't think that's happening. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. Uh, last red card. Young Pyromancer. One in a red for 2-1. She is a human shaman. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you put a 1-1 red elemental creature token onto the battlefield. If you're in red, you're kind of playing a reasonable amount of instants and sorceries. And if you're getting in Pyromancer early, you're probably moving in slightly more. Yeah. This could be good fun, just getting lots of little guys on the board to make things awkward. And the fact is, if you don't actually have any... Then it's still a 2-1 for 2, which is fine. It's true. And you get random occasional value when you do have stuff, because most decks will have at least six instances of sorceries in them. Um, and I mean, it seems quite good with, like, Molten Birth, um, which is another thing in this set. It's uh, a, a three-mana red sorcery, which puts two 1-1 one, one red elemental creature tokens on the battlefield. Then you flip a coin, and if you win, you get the card back. So it makes it make three and you still have a chance to do this again. So that seems pretty good. That was a nice interaction. Um, I still think it's a high pick, though. Yeah. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd pick it quite highly. Yeah, I mean, you can also do it in combat. You know, you cast the instant in combat, and you get the surprise blocker they didn't see coming. I mean, well, they should possibly see coming, because Young Pyramid is obviously on the table, but... They'll know it's a possibility. They won't know if you have one or not, though, so... Yeah. It does. It turns your shocks into three damage, you know. It does, on if you're if they're attacking into it, yeah. Advocate of the Beast. First green card, two and a green for a 2-3, for an elf shaman. At the beginning of your end step, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target beast creature you control. Yeah. Um, there's, there's quite a reasonable amount of beasts in... There's enough. Yeah, and um, I like the fact it's at the beginning of your end step, because normally you sort of, you play your creature, and you need to wait a turn, and at the beginning of your upkeep, yeah, you get it. And, yeah, you know, there's so you get it pretty quickly. Yeah, you get it pretty quickly. Like, normally you got to sort of have that nail-biting experience of waiting at the end step. No, they didn't cast an instant. Oh, now they're casting a sorcery on their turn. You don't, you don't have to worry about that quite so much, which is quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I mean, it's also a 2-3 three for 3, which isn't bad on its own. No, it's quite fine. It's got itself. the stats to kind of support itself, even if you don't have anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, how many beasts are there in this set? There's maybe about five revealed so far. Um, although you can't really talk about this card without at least mentioning the card that goes with it, which is the Marauding Mallhorn. This is true. The red card. Um, it's a four mana, um, five three in red, which attacks each combat if able, unless you control a creature named Advocate of the Beast. So, Advocate's kind of holding the reins to the Mallhorn, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't know how fussed I am about a 5-3 attacking in each combat. That kind of seems okay. It does seem okay. Um, and in fact, if you're going to be putting plus one, plus one counters on it, you probably want to attack with it even more often, so I'm not sure why it's it's got that ability, but... I mean, I, I do like when cards reference other cards. I think it's cute, but... Yeah, it's just not always entirely relevant. Yeah, in this case, it's like, why am I not attacking my 5-3? Something's gone wrong here. I'm in red and green, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 But, yeah, I mean, Africa the Beasts are common as well, so it should be quite easy to get. Yeah, if you want to pair them if up. If you want it's, it. Yeah, it's quite viable. Um, Beast Tribal, limited. <laughs> you never know. Totally a thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> With four beasts so far, I just checked. <laughs> right, uh... 
Next card, Garrett Kohler of Beasts. So this is the other new Planeswalker, because the other three Planeswalkers, Ajani, Jace, and Liliana, are all reprints. But Garrett Kohler of Beasts is a new one. Rar. Garrett Dropper of Beasts, yo. Dropper of Beasts. <laughs> wow. I, I haven't heard that, but I, I like it. Uh, four green and a green for four mana Garak. And it is Garak, it's not Garuk. There, there is a pronunciation guide somewhere, it's Garak, okay? Sorry, just had to get it <laughs> off my chest. It's not a thing which bugs me at all whenever he goes, oh, Garuk. It's not Garuk, it's Garak. Anyways, Garak, plus one, reveal the top five cards of your library, put all creature cards revealed this way into your hand, and the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. Pretty awesome. Yep. Minus three, put a green creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Even more awesome if you've already got the creature, you don't have to search for it. Minus seven, yep. you get an emblem with, with whenever you cast a creature spell, you may search your library for a creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Uh, that that's pretty good. Pretty good, but again, let's be realistic. You're not hitting the ultimate all that often. So, the first two abilities. Yeah, um, well, the first one is pretty good in limited. It's five cards, so you've got a decent chance of hitting creatures. Um, assuming the normal sort of creature distribution of a green deck, you probably have around 16. Um, so that's two creatures out of five. So there's a, there's a chance, there's a good chance you'll hit two creatures on average. Um, which as a plus one on a planeswalker draw two cards is pretty good. Yes. Um, he has six mana, so that's why he's got such a good plus one. Um, he might be a little bit late at six mana. It, you need to already have a bit of a board because he doesn't really protect himself all that well. Yeah. Like, if you have to pay him for six, then plus one him. And you've not already got anything out, then he's probably going to die on the swing from the opponent. Um, so you need to have some stuff out already. But yeah, it's, it's pretty good card advantage if you've already got a board. Oh, or, it's, or if you've actually got the more expensive creature in your hand, which you haven't yet been able to get the mana for. Just going six mana Garak minus three creature. Yeah, and I mean, then he's still alive as well, so. Yeah. You've still got him around if you, and then you've played the creature, which is hopefully going to protect him. So that that kind of does protect him a little bit, mm-hmm. um, in that you're not having to just do that on your turn. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about this in limited because of the mana cost. Like it would depend a lot on your deck, I think. Yeah, he is expensive. Like I think in corsets, seven mana is possibly the highest you're likely to see, and not necessarily all that often. Yeah, yeah, would that seem reasonable? So having him a six means he's really quite late game, and uh, if he's a top deck from an empty hand and uh, you don't have the creature to play, six mana draw two is not great. But six mana draw two gain some life is it's maybe enough to keep you in the game. Mm. It, it, I mean, it's drawing you two gas cards, so which you can maybe both play both in a turn if you've got the mana. Yeah. Um. So it's it's it's. Pretty good. I'll first pick it if I get it. <laughs> Every time. But yeah, I'm not I'm not as sure if it's, you know, right up there with the power level of some planeswalkers. So who do you personally prefer? Chandra or Garrick? In limited I prefer Chandra. Okay. Just because she comes out and then like she's just so much she comes out so much quicker and has the same loyalty. So she's just a little bit harder to kill, more likely to stick around, more likely to get you more value. Yeah, I think you're likely to get more cars off of Chandra and at a more relevant part of the game, I think. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, I think I like her more as well. Um, 
What about out of all five of the Planeswalkers? Because obviously we've got the reprint of a Johnny Cole of Pride, Liliana of the Dark Realms, and Jace Memory Adept, so... Yeah, the problem isn't limited. It's not even close when Jace Memory Adept is in the set. It's basically you play him, you win. True. Almost every time. Like, Mel's ten cards is so many. If you do this twice, they're dead. If you do it once and then can stall for a bit, they're dead. Yeah. Like, that's usually how it works. So, I mean, five mana isn't even that much either. Um, if you play him on turn five, they need to have four power to kill him. So yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't seem hugely likely that he doesn't win you the game in almost all times you cast him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the game has to be going pretty badly for you already. Anything of, like, almost parity or better, and he's, he's won the game for you, I reckon. It, I, I actually took this card out of my cube because I, I thought it was so unfun and limited with 40 card decks. So that gives you an idea of how powerful I think it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially when in this, as opposed to cube, there's a lot less ways to deal with him. Like in cube, you, you're yeah. playing more powerful things, so yes. you're more likely to have an answer, whereas here, it's outclassing almost everything that you're going to have out already. <laughs> this is definitely true, yeah. Um, he, he does make for unfun, unfair games. But, yeah. I mean, mythics, so, you know, you don't see I mean, them entirely. After, often. after Jace, probably would be Chandra, though. Like, I think she's, she's probably just after. Well, not just after, but she's probably next after Jace. Mm-hmm. It, it's not difficult to say that I think Liliana's the worst. Yeah, yeah, I'd quite agree with that statement. I've, I've had her in one, uh, limited, dr- one draft, and I, I played her as a removal spell. You know, four mana, minus three, kill that thing. <laughs> Which is reasonable, but that's all she usually ends up being. Yeah. I- I'm a big fan of Ajani, but that's because the one time I had it, I did get ultimate Ajani, and even better than that, I had my full starting health of 20. Yeah. So I mean, it's the- just kill Ajani, 22 to kitty cats, <laughs> meow you to death, you know. The fact that it comes out on turn three instantly goes up to five loyalty. That's, it's, it's difficult to deal with. Like, yeah. it's early enough that you can probably protect him well enough to get up to around eight, eight loyalty, yeah, eight loyalty counters quite easily. It was a really odd game because he was getting pinged for one and then one and then one and then I think I just put something in front and then they, I was just going seven. Yes. Yeah. Minus eight. Yay, kitty cats! Uh, it was an interesting game to say the least, but 20 kitty cats can't complain. Well, I've said where I put the other three. I probably put Garrick and Jani very close in third place. I'm not sure which one's actually slightly better. Yeah. I'm, I'm edging towards the Jani, but that's probably just because I haven't seen Garrick in action yet. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, I'd probably put a Jani slightly further ahead, but it's still but happy. Playing the format will, will help. I'm so happy to first pick Garrick though. Yeah. I would first pick all of these, um, apart from Possibly Liliana in some situations. Hmm. I mean, if it's for pack one, I, I might actually first pick her just because you can probably play quite heavy black. Uh, mono black's been possible in some core sets. It might be possible in this one. We don't know yet. So that wouldn't be too unreasonable. So we'll see how that goes. Um, next card is Colonian Hydra. I think that this is one that's really not had as much attention as it deserves. Um, and this is both from a constructed and a limited point of view. Um, I'm just going to talk about it for limited, but it's, I think it's going to be amazing in both formats. Um, it's very close to Wolf Your Silverheart in some ways, in that you play, it's, it's a five mana creature, um, 
it's technically a zero zero, but it enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters, and it has trample. And the part that makes it really good is whenever it attacks, you double the number of plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. Yeah. So the first time this attacks, it goes up to an eight eight, which is why I kind of associate it with Wolfier Summerheart in that it's an eight eight for five mana essentially. Mm. Um, and it has trample. And if you ever attack for a sec with that second time, it becomes a sixteen sixteen. And you're like, just not coming back from that. Yeah. It seems nigh on unbeatable and limited, I think. You have to have removal straight away. There's not much that's standing in the way of that thing. Now, it may seem that the doubling the plus one plus one counters on each creature you control is a little bit irrelevant, but there's there are a few effects in yeah. this where you do get plus one plus one counters and not even exclusively in green. So No. You you are going to be able to pump up other creatures occasionally, which is pretty awesome. Well, I mean, we've mentioned uh, Witchstalker already, the the guy that hoses blue and black. He gets plus one, plus one counters. Yep. Um, there's the Advocate of... The Beast, which also gives plus one, plus one. Yep. Uh, uh, there's some. There's a white card, I want to say, which also gives plus one, plus one counters. Or am I wrong? Oh, there's Hunt of the Weak, which gives a plus one plus one counter to a creature, and then it fights something. Uh, oh yeah, Archangel Thune gives counter, so does a Jani. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there's there's actually quite a few. Yeah, I mean, uh, and there might be more. I mean, to be honest, you possibly it possibly doesn't matter because you are attacking with an eight eight trample. But yeah. <laughs> it will be nice if every now and then some of the other creatures get bigger, and you know, even if they deal with the Hydra, you're just going, well, this guy's a bit bigger now. Kind of turned the board around, didn't that? So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think this card's going to be amazing. I think it's, I'm not, it's not really the sleeper of the set, but, cause it's already got like a 15 pound price tag on some sites and stuff, so, it's not like it's completely unnoticed, but, I've not heard anyone talking about it, so, I don't know, maybe it's slightly undiscovered, mm. is the best way to put it. I suppose, yeah. But yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's awesome. Cool, uh, briefly talking about- Five the- mana eight eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five mana eighty. Can't argue. <laughs> uh, now it's Littler cousin, the Caldonian Tusker. I want to say about it. It's a three-three for green and green. Yeah. So it's just gonna say that's pretty powerful. Two drop three-three. I mean, oh. it doesn't do anything else, but it is a beast, which is relevant. Yep. And, I mean, uh, it, we've had Call of the Conclave recently, which is a three-three for two mana. It's of course a little bit better because there's populate in the set with it, but still, two mana three-three. It's it's pretty good on its own. Yeah, and we've mentioned tons of 2-2s. I mean, well, 2-2s for even more yeah. than 2 mana. This is a 3-3 three, three for 2 mana. I mean, it's it's a 3-3 three, three for 2. You want three, your 8-8... Eight, 3 eight, for 2 mana? You want your 8-8 eight, eight for 5. I just want my 3-3 three, three for 2. <sighs> so easily, please. Uh, I know. Admittedly, this guy is not a mythic, which probably makes a bit of a difference. <laughs> I mean, he isn't uncommon. I mean, he'd probably be a bit scarier common, but still. Yeah. I would want to play someone with a huge amount of these. Right, I am going to preempt this card with just let's avoid talking about the constructed because we'll be here all day because yeah. it's, it's it's amazing. Scavenging ooze, which yes. is one of the big cards which everybody who plays constructed wants, probably even people who play limited because they can then sell it to all those fools who play constructed. But scavenging ooze, one in a green for a two-two ooze, green exile target card from a graveyard. If it's a creature card, you put a plus one plus one counter scavenging ooze, and you gain a life. Yeah. In limited. Well, I mean... <sighs> it's... Uh, it's going to be okay, 
Like, it's you're going to kill creatures and it'll get slowly bigger over yeah. time. And Okay, I'm going to say this, and don't stop me until I finish, because it isn't going to be a constructed comment, right? Okay. But people compare scavenger news to Tarmogoyf in Constructed. Now, the big thing about Tarmogoyf is that in Limited, it's usually not very good. However, this actually is pretty much as good in Limited in terms of growing. Admittedly, it doesn't get to XL as many, like, relevant cards from graveyards. Yeah. But it does grow at a reasonable rate. Yeah. If you play it early, you've you got to be a little bit defensive if you want it to be, like, a big threat. But it can get there. Yeah. I mean, even if you do play it late, like, you... <laughs> it, it can you could actually get somewhere. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about this is it's green. Exile target card from Graveyard. It's not green and tap. So it, you know, it, yeah. it does come out late and there's, you know, obviously there's been a little bit of combat. You just exile a ton of stuff if you've got the spare green mana. I mean, it's only a two drop and then. Yeah. So it's almost like an X, an X spell really. Mm-hmm. Cause whenever you play it, you can exile X creatures and pay X mana to give it plus one plus one counters. And to be honest, the life gain won't be terribly relevant. Like, you know, it, it keeps you in the game for longer, which gives you the time to make the scavenging news even bigger. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really stopping this from getting to like a seven, seven or eight, eight in in most games. Mm-hmm. I mean, all you need is what six creatures to die between both sides for it to become an eight. eight. Isn't a lot considering how creature based limited usually is, yeah. and there's not really any decks from the looks of it so far which aren't going to be creature based. No, I I would be exceptionally surprised if Sony created a creatureless deck in M13. Yeah. Uh, M14, sorry. Or even a creature light deck. I mean, there just isn't much yeah. to, to skew you in that direction. True. Uh, right. I think we're done with the coloured cards. So, Door of Destinies, reprint from Morning Tide? From the Lorman block. Uh, Morning Tide, I yeah. haven't played this card, no. <laughs> right. Um, it's a four-mana artifact, and when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. Whenever you cast a spell of the chosen type, you get a charge counter on Door of Destinies. Creatures you control the chosen type get plus one, plus one for each charge counter on Door of Destinies. This yeah. is reasonably good. I mean, I'm slightly hesitant because it is a four-mana artifact. It's not something which you can play really early and then you slap out all your quick slivers, but... I mean, it does seem like it'll be pretty good in slivers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this does definitely seem good in slivers. I mean, I'm sure you can find other relevant creature types like Beast... Or, Probably human, I'd imagine. Yeah, human as well. Um, I mean, four mana means it's not affecting you really early on, but, I mean, it will just get bigger and bigger, and your creatures will just get bigger and bigger. I mean, it seems quite yeah, decent. it does seem reasonable. I mean, even four four for a plus one plus one, when it's colourless, is okay. Um, and as soon as it's a plus two plus two, then that's it pretty much amazing. Yeah. Like, in limited, given all your creatures, of the, of, even if it's just of one type, plus two, plus two, could be nice if you've got a lot of that type. You know what it I, will depend a lot on your deck, I think. You, you know what I really want to pair this with? I want to pair this with a young Pyromancer and just make all the elements <laughs> <a little> bigger. <laughs> yeah, but you need to be able to cast elemental creatures. Oh, wait, it's cast a that spell of a chosen yeah. type. Yeah, so... Oh, it's I mean, just... there's the there's the Regathan Fire Cat, which is the 4-1 elemental cat. Oh, that, not that sure was... if there's very many more elementals. Damn it, that doesn't seem so good now. I thought it was just when a creature came in, but no, you need to cast the Unfortunately spell. not. That would be amazing. Oh. <laughs> I mean, uh... imagine that with Molten Birth plus Young Pyromancer. Which actually means that Hive Stirrings doesn't actually give more slivers, because it's a sorcery, not a sorcery sliver. Yes. So, oh, oh well. 
to be honest, still, yeah. naming Sliver wouldn't complain, naming Human wouldn't no. complain, Beast, yeah. Or you could just really just, you know, take the piss and just go, you know what I've got? I've got a big dragon. I'm just going to name Dragon. I'm just going to make it a little bit bigger when I play it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want a 4-4 four, four Scourge of Valcast. I want a 5-5 five, five Scourge of Valcast because somehow that's more relevant. I mean, if you really wanted to, you could do that, but. <laughs> you could. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, another artifact, not a reprint. Uh, Guardian of the Ages, a 7 mana, 7-7 seven, seven golem with Defender, which doesn't seem the greatest, but whenever a creature attacks your Planeswalker you control, if Guardian of the Ages has Defender, it loses Defender against Trample. That yeah. just seems fun. Like, I know a 7 mana card seldom will see play. A 7 mana, def- like a 7-7 seven, seven Defender will just kill the biggest thing, which is kind of cool, and then it's going to start doing damage. I just like the flavor of it more than anything, I think. Yeah, I just like the it's idea. It's cool. Like, it's a nice idea. Yeah. Uh, one important thing, it says it loses Defender and gains Trample. There's no of end, until end of turn there, so it's a permanent change. It goes from the 7-7 Defender to the 7-7 Trampler permanently. So, yeah. I mean, you do swing back for a lot, but, I mean, they see it coming. So Yeah. I mean, the thing is, they're not going to attack you unless they can beat it. Yeah. But, and also, they're not probably going to attack you on the ground since it would be able to block it. So, I mean, what, they might attack you with a fire and then you get to hit them back with a 7 7. It just seems like it stops everything. I don't think it's terribly playable. Like, it's, I, I would play it. But, I mean. But then it's really good in the decks I, I would play. Like, I tend to play the sort of dirty decks. So, yeah. um, playing this, being able to survive. If you can survive to a 7 7, then play this. It, it probably stops a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm still. I'm, I'm not 100 percent on that one, but I, I don't know about necessarily first pick it, but I I like it. It's it's, it's oh, no. what I'd call cute. Yeah, I wouldn't first pick it, but it it does seem pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, another artifact. Um, haunted plate mail. Um, I don't know if we've seen a card like this before. It's a four mana equipment which gives equipped creature plus four plus four, and it has a equipped cost of four. It's pretty pricey, but then, you know, you can make a 1-1, one, one, a 5-5, five, five, so that's okay. And if you yeah, make... That's already fine. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. However, it's got this interesting ability. I don't know if you've seen this sort of thing before. For zero, until end of turn, Haunted Plate Mail becomes a 4-4 spirit artifact creature that is no longer an equipment. However, you can only activate this ability if you control no creatures. Uh, it seems interesting. I mean, like, you you board wipe destroy your creatures, and you still kind of have a creature, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of also does the thing of, well, if you play an artifact, there's a risk that you won't have any creatures to equip it to, and then it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas this doesn't have that risk. Yeah. Like, if you don't have a creature, then your four mana card is a four four, which is decent. Yeah. Um, especially for colorless. And if you do have a creature, then it, it makes all your creatures huge. I mean, it is pricey, the equip for, but, I mean, plus four, plus four is quite a decent effect, so you can't complain. Yeah. It's got a lot of fours on it, which yeah, reminds it, me a little bit of the Moonsilver Blade. Is that the right name? Uh, Moonsilver Spear? Yeah. Four, four angels? Yeah, it makes four, four angels, it costs four to equip, it costs four to play. It's quite similar in, in that way. <laughs> yeah, true. Let, let, let's force a, a similarity if we can't see one naturally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, I, would, I would play it. I don't think I would first pick it again, though. No. Um, like, maybe third-ish pick it. Because <laughs> it fits in every deck. 
Yeah. I mean, that's one reason to maybe first pick it is that it's, it leaves you open. True, true. Like it's an artifact, so you're you're getting a reasonably powerful card and not actually committing to any colours whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there's nothing. If none of the uncommons really take your fancy. Then yeah, sure. Um, right. Last card, uh, Mutavolt. So it's a land which is also returning. Is that also from Morning Tide? Uh, it was from that. It is actually time. Period. Okay. It is actually from Morning Tide. So two ah. Morning Tide <laughs> returns. Um, so it's a land. It taps for one colourless. So, it must have some really cool effect. For one, Mutavolt becomes a 2-2 creature with all creature types until end of turn. It is still a land. Yeah. Now, now, this is just for Slivers Unlimited, right? Like, I, yeah, maybe Beast, I suppose, but... I don't know, I think a land that doubles as a creature is pretty good either way. That's true. I mean, we haven't had man lands for quite a while, actually. Yeah. Since, uh, Zendikar, or...? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a few years, actually, since we've had that, so... I mean, I quite like Mutavolt. I mean, it's another thing that also hints at Tribal. It might just be in there for Slivers. That is entirely possible. Mm -hmm. Um, However, playing a colourless land in what is already probably going to be a three-colour deck is a bit sketchy. Um, But it it, it does kind of hint at possible Tribal things in the next set. You never know. Yeah, moving into Theros, yeah. Like the whole Minotaur thing, like that, plus this. There's, there's a few clues. True. I, I never thought I would ever activate a mutable trying to get it to be a Minotaur. No, true. Um, but that would be nice, if that's a thing that I have to do for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's it's a reasonably good card. It's not going to be amazing and limited, but you never know. I mean, unless you're the big on slivers, except for you have mentioned the problem, three colour slivers, you don't want to come yeah. to this land. Beast, I suppose, I just don't really see yeah. where else this fits. Like, if, dragon, if you're only two colours, you probably play it. Yeah, Dragon is actually relevant, but again, just, I think, for the Scourge of Volcast and not for any other reason. So, There's a yeah, couple of yeah. limited creature types, but... Yeah, I, I, I would play it if I was only two colours almost every time. Yeah. Just because it doesn't really cost you much and it's a, a 2-2 when you might just need to get an extra 2 damage in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, right. That's well, that's the last one on the list. But we've got a couple more that, that I kind of added to the end of the list. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, we can um, talk about those. So, first of all, we have Blightcaster and Oath of Ancient Wood. Uh, these ones I'm saying together because they both have a similar kind of enchantment kind of theme on them. Um, Oath of the Ancient Wood um, is a three-mana green enchantment, which says whenever it enters the battlefield or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature, which is reasonable. It's, it's not bad. I mean, it's always going to trigger on itself, so... Yeah. You're, you're very least getting a plus one, plus one counter somewhere for your three mana. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you look at Blightcaster as well, which is a black creature, it's a four mana, two, three, with whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you may have target creature, get minus two, minus two until end of turn. Now that kind of, together to me, hints at some kind of enchantment theme. There's also Auromancer in white, which also cares about enchantments. Yes. And there's just generally quite a few enchantments in the set already. So yeah. I'm not sure if this is in here for limited purposes, as 
there's going to be some more enchantments because I mean there's not been a lot of white stuff revealed compared ah. to the other colors. It's it's about five cards short of green, mm-hmm. um, and a couple of cards short of every other color. So and white's usually got a lot of enchantments, so we we could see a few more. It's a, perhaps a hint at things to come. And it could also mean something to do with Theros because we haven't had an enchantment theme set for a while. This so, is true, yeah. Uh, I think that's one to maybe watch and see what happens with it. Mm-hmm. Or two to watch and see what happens with them. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the other... In fact, the next card is Dark Prophecy. Um, now, Dark Prophecy is a three-mana enchantment. It's three black mana, so it's quite colour-intensive, and it says whenever a creature you control dies, you draw one card and lose one life. So this kind of has a hint of necropotence, you know, draw one card, lose one life. Uh, (laughs) It's not quite the same, and it's also, you know, three black mana. Um, But I don't know, I'm I'm not sure how good it's going to be in Limited. I mean, obviously, creatures are going to die. Yeah. If you can constantly fill the board with creatures, then you're going to get ahead because your creature dies, you get another card, your creature dies, you get another card. And because you've got enough creatures out, you're probably not losing a ton of life in any other way. That might be enough. I'm actually wondering how many sacrifice effects are. I mean, you've got the Shadowborn Apostle, but I can only sacrifice there's six of them. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's also the another rare, Zathra Necromancer, uh, three mana black, two, two which gives you a 2-2 whenever it or another creature dies. So, oh, it or another human creature dies. It's not quite as strong. <laughs> yeah, but. I don't think there's a huge amount of support for, you know, trying to make it work, but it might be okay on its own. Yeah, I mean, anything vaguely like Necropotence has to kind of be good, right? I mean... Yeah, that, that's well, well, I say that, I'm thinking about Underworld Connections, which had the same... Effect. I have killed myself with Nick. Uh, with, like, Underworld... No, not Underworld. I have killed myself with similar effects, anyway. Right. Um, so, you know, drawing cards at the cost of losing life. Like, actually, I've killed myself with Dark Confidant a few times, so... Right, well, yeah. Yeah. Drawing cards at the cost of life is not always positive. <laughs> you never know. Do you reckon it's a, a high pick, or...? I would happily take it. I mean, creatures are going to die, and I'm going to draw cards, and I'm losing a little bit of life for the cost. I mean... Card advantage wins the game, right? Hopefully. It does quite a lot. If yeah. you're not getting tempoed out, so. And the problem is, if they are tempoing you out already, losing life is probably not helping. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be better against some decks than others. But I mean, if you're against the all removal deck, it obviously becomes fairly nuts. Since True. you basically destroy their removal. <laughs> they kill a creature, you get another one from your deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't work out too well for them, yeah. I don't know. It seems interesting. Yeah, I like it. I, like I want to play with it at some point during M14 limited season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Did I? Oh, yes. One other thing is we missed a card out earlier oh. when we were doing blue. Oh, okay. We missed out Warden of Evos Isle. Oh, right, yes. The uh, the two blue, two two bird wizard, which unsurprisingly is flying. Yeah, creature spells with flying you cast cost one less to cast. Yeah. Um, I think it's been a it's been a while since we've seen a cost reducing card, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a while before we've seen one that's been particularly strong. Yeah, because obviously you're blue, flyers are a big thing in blue, getting everything for one cheaper, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, there was the uh, giant and the giant enabler in Modern Masters that made those two cheaper, and there was Mm. the uh, Goblin Electromancer in Return to Ravnica. Oh, of course, yes, the Electromancer. (laughs) I I don't know how you didn't think of that one. I thought how I blanked on that one, I know, but... uh, That's ridiculous. Yeah, I I was ignoring the the guy from Modern Masters, but yeah, I just... I like cost-reducing stuff, and yeah, flying, really relevant. I I mean, they haven't printed a lot of, like, cheapish flyers, so it's not looking insane yet. I don't but know. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying the, the cheap flyers are amazing, but Seacoast Drake or Trained Condor. Um, yeah. I, I mean, mean y- y- you can get really cheap flyers for one and two now rather than uh, two or three. Yeah. I, mean. I mean, Messenger Drake, four, it becomes a four mana 3 3 flyer, which draws you a card when it dies. That's, that's really strong. That's pretty solid, yeah. Um, so it could be a good draft deck. And uh, I think I think with white as well, it it makes it a lot. Yeah, more I mean, fun. blue white flyers has always been a corset draft deck. Yeah, and I, I think this just makes it a lot stronger. Like it's an uncommon, so you're going to see it from time to time. And uh, if you get more than one, that would, that would be a laugh a minute. Yeah, especially saying the second one comes out one cheaper itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and then everything's so cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I do like that one. Like air air servant four, it's, uh, that's a reprint five mana four three flyer become a what a three mana four three flyer if you had two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just getting silly. It is, but uh, I, I'll, I'll take it. I, I yeah, I want that to happen. War, that that is a deck I definitely want to play. The ward in the Emisile. Yeah, yeah. And it might be a little bit easier to draft in in the early stages of the format than the slivers deck. Yeah, because everybody's going to be looking at slivers, and I'll be like, well, if you take all those things from the ground, and I'll be playing with the cheap flyers in the air. Yeah. Of course, not me and you will be fighting over this in our first draft, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, that that does unfortunately tend to happen. Um, yeah, I have to say though, it does depend on whether you open one of the other cards in this set. Uh, can you guess which card that I think you will potentially go all in on if you open it? Okay, so there's a card in M14 you think I'd go all in on. Um, well, I'm guessing it's a blue or red card because this is me. It might be. Um. Hmm. It's an artifact. I'll give you that. That 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 will limit it quite a bit. Oh, okay, it's an artifact. I it's almost would... like a bonus name that card. <laughs> oh, I I know. See, I, I think I know the one, but I don't think you're you're not thinking millstone, are you? I am. Oh, I mean, yeah, millstone. It's got mill. It's my favorite old win condition. But no, I I don't think I'd go all in on millstone. Two's not that slow and limited. No, I mean, I, I totally snap up the Sands of Delirium when I saw that in M13, but... I mean, it d- And it's an uncommon, so you might get more than one. Oh, is it an uncommon? Yeah. Ah, see, oh, uh, the one I'm looking at, it, it doesn't... <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Magic Salvation, it's not, it doesn't actually have the... Ah, uh, okay. Uh, rarity on it. Uncommon. Hmm, well... It depends what, I suppose it probably depends on what support there is in the blue for the mill strategy. I mean, the thing I, I mean, I'm not worried about not having a uh, mind sculpt or stuff like that, but the thing which really made me like blue in M13 was, uh, the fog bank. And yeah, I true. think, was there another wall as well? Cause it's just the idea of, I build this wall so you can't hurt me and I'll just mill you. 
Like, yeah. you, you can't touch me, it's all milk. And I, That's pretty good. <laughs> I, mean, I don't see Fogbank here, and I wouldn't be too surprised if it wasn't reprinted. I'm not seeing another... I don't think there's a wall they've printed yet. There's not really another mill yet, either. Um, I mean, obviously, except for Jace, but... Oh. Yeah, but he, he doesn't need any other cards. <laughs> uh, actually, Jace's Mindseeker also mills, but again, that, you're talking about a mythic and a yeah. rare, so... so. Probably. I, I don't know if it'd go all in Millstone. If it was a common, which I'd be surprised about, then absolutely, but um, <laughs> I don't think that's happening, so uh I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be sure to point it out on, on a future show if you have tried to go all in on Millstone at any point. I'm sure you will. I, 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 <laughs> I do like my mill. I do like my mill. It's just... Uh, I think I was thinking about mill, and I think I've only actually won a single game by milling my opponent out. In the entire time I played Magic, I think I've done it one game. That's quite bad considering how much you like mail. Yeah, but you know, that's it. You really like you've you you really like mail. Like you've not found a format recently that's had a good mail deck in it that you've liked. Uh, I mean, I've tried Demir, um, but it it never really worked out as a mail deck. Yeah. Um. Not for me, at least. Really like mind sculpt. No, no. As as we kind of debated previously. Yeah, we've had quite a few debates over mind sculpt being yeah. good or bad card. <laughs> and I actually expected uh, Craig to be on my side, but no, he sided with Steve on this one. Which mind sculpt was not a card. <sighs> But that, that's well, in the, that's in the distant past. And that's my show gets reprinted. <laughs> then we can have that debate all over again. But, yes. Uh, let's hope it's in this set. <laughs> let's hope it's not. Uh, and, uh, the other thing is, uh, Jason's Phantasm was also another key clincher for the mill deck. Yeah, and I mean, it's a massive blocker or, or even random aggro guy if yeah. you don't quite manage to close out with the mill. And I'm not seeing the common cycle of creatures named after planeswalkers, so I don't think we'll see Phantasm again. Yeah, possibly not. <laughs> okay, that, uh, that that's probably enough reminiscing on M13 for now. Um, yeah, and there... I think we've covered all the cards as well that we... Yeah, I think so. I mean... I wouldn't be surprised if next week we came back to talk about the rest of the cards they revealed and uh, we may even have a better idea of how this is actually going to draft. I think by next week we should have the full spoiler. I'd be very surprised. Should yeah, it's usually this weekend, yeah. Then yeah. It's usually so, the week before. Yeah, so I think Monday the 8th uh, of July we should be seeing the full reveal, so yeah. you can get that obviously on the official Wizards Magic website. Indeed. Yes. Okay. Um... Anything else before we sign off? I don't think so. No, neither do I. Uh, oh, brief note, although I'm not quite sure when this episode will be out. Uh, the competition ends on Sunday the 7th of July at noon in the UK. Um, just a note. So there's five questions from the previous five episodes if you wish to enter. If you don't know what we're talking about, then you should go back and listen to the previous five episodes. Otherwise, yes. um, I'll talk about it next week, who won. And, uh, yeah. Listen to all the episodes. Listen we might to- give you free stuff in exchange for it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. That, that is the message to take away. Um, right, in which case, uh, we are done. So, 
We are on Tumblr at delvingintodraft.tumblr.com. It's the quickest way to get our episodes, although obviously we are also available on mtgcast.com. We are also on Facebook as Delving Into Draft. Our email address is delvingintodraft at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter as Ravak underscore. Steve is Horse, And Dan is Darkhand the Mad. Your host for this week with me, Craig, and you, Dan. Yay, that's me. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is A Cannery, and it is Royce with free music licensed under Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0.